Hello, hello, hello. Conversations with Alaskan gardeners on the air, blasting through the airwaves, tendrils of sweet peas drifting off of our hair. <laughs> That's funny. With Margaret Tharp. I'm David Lendrum, Landscape Alaska. We're in Juneau, Alaska, USA. And this is a call-in show. Anybody in the whole world can call in. It's uh, 907-586-1800. Call in and we'll talk about whatever it is you like to talk about, particularly gardening and landscaping. You invite us to see things that are in bloom in your yard or in your neighbor's yard or somebody that lives down the street and you want to have us look at something fantastic. Well, this is the number to, to do it with. And we're going to uh, open up with an invitation to come and see us at Landscape Alaska, Juno's Boutique Nursery. We're on the Back Loop Road between Goat Hill Road and Spring Way. Oh, and it's beautiful right now. It is just lovely. The young have women that have been taking care of the nursery have made it so spectacular and right now. And we have now. new stock in. Yep, just got a big shipment of new stuff, and the hydrangeas are beginning to bloom. Yes, they look lovely, Dave. And at this time of year, everything is just, you know, I'm out working every day, and uh, the whole world seems really happy, you know? They're all, it's all saying, look how pretty I am. That's right. Look you how know? pretty I am. Look I'm how pretty I am. That's right. And, <laughs> and the snow mound spireas everywhere around town bursting into flowers. And the roses. And uh, most of the rhododendrons are done, but th they're getting their new growth, and they're looking beautiful. Yeah, boy, the new growth in the rhododendron is just lovely, isn't it? And the maple trees. There's a lot of little seedling maples coming up in some of the yards I'm taking care of. And... Uh, you know, all you have to do is dig them up and put them someplace to grow for a while, and you'll have a tree. Uh-huh. And maples grow right along. Yes, know? they do. If you start with a maple seedling in just two or three years, you're going to have a young maple sapling. Mm-hmm. You know, you could have a, a hundred of them. Make yourself a maple hedge around your property. Well, that would be... You'd hope to have a pretty good-sized property for a maple. Well, I'm, of course, I'm thinking about Norway maples and how big they are. The only drawback to big-leaved maples is that you have to rake up all those leaves. That's right, they do. They <laughs> I like. I go for the trees that get big that have small leaves. Katsuras are some of my favorites because mm -hmm. they really blow nice. away. And even the Japanese maples, the good-sized Japanese maples, the have leaves small just blow leaves right away. and they blow away. Uh -huh. You know, and I know that sounds silly, but maintenance is part of what I do, and so. When people ever ask me what kind of trees should I plant, I always think of what's the fall maintenance schedule like? Because the, some places have really big-leaved lindens and they have big-leaved maples and, and they have birch trees which drop branches all the time. And it's a lot to take care of. That's right. The, the maintenance budget. The, uh, so when you do a landscape design, there's several budgets. And one's the money budget. And one's the time budget, and one's the maintenance time budget. You know, yeah. it's not, not even how long it takes you to put the landscape in. It's how much how time How long it's going to take you to take care of that's it. That's right. You're contracted then for the rest of your life. And that's why they say lawns are the most expensive landscape you can have, because you, ha in order to have a real lawn, you have to put time in, and in a rainforest, it's quite a bit of time. Uh -huh. The more often you mow, the better it is. I drove by Paul Dick's yard this last week. 
oh, I'm sure his grass was way out of control and, <laughs> yeah. and way well, too tall, right? It was, it was absolutely perfect. Of course it is. It was absolutely perfect and such a deep blue-green color. And I went around the corner. Oh, good morning, conversations. Anyone there? Okay, try yeah. us again. Wait. Are you, are you there? Yes, I am. Oh, hello. Um, good morning. Uh, good morning. Um, I was wondering if you could tell us on the radio how to kill Indian rhubarb. I read that you could go down and um, if you have the solution that you need to paint on the stem so it kills the root, what we could do to get rid of it. Okay, we'll talk about it on the air. Thank you. Uh-huh. Well, my experience with Indian rhubarb, you're probably not going to be really interested in, but it's to just dig it up. It doesn't take much. It's actually a surface rooter. You cut off the branches and dig that root out. And this is the perfect time of year for doing it because the ground's wet. And uh, it's you just remove it. And I dig it up all, all the time. And unlike many other things that if you just leave a scrap of root in the ground, it sprouts again. Indian rhubarb's not like that. If you dig out the main core of it, that, that plant's gone. But it seeds so prolifically, there is true. And the one thing you have to remember about Indian rhubarb is that the skin irritation chemical is activated by sunlight. So if you're gonna do anything with it, and you're gonna work anywhere around it, you wanna make sure you do it on a day like this, or even a rainier day. And always cut off the stems before you deal with it at all and put it in plastic bags or something so you can manage having the seed pods not blowing everywhere blowing everywhere and, and having more Indian rhubarb anyway um, other than that I don't know of uh, oh Roundup kills it there's no doubt about it but if, uh, if you don't feel like using that in your yard that's the no- that's another thing right if, is there some kind of organic Poisons, you know, people do Clorox and water, know you know, vinegar, and you know, I, I don't either. So, uh-huh. if anybody else out there has a or more organic application, um, and of course, I don't use chemicals. So, for me, if something's easy to dig, I just dig it up. So, there's that. I know. That's how it is. So I'm sorry if that's a disappointing answer, but that's that's the answer we've got. And Although, we do dig it out. We have we have it growing, and uh, I don't mean that we have it. It grows by itself in many of the places that we maintain. And one of our annual tasks for all these places is to go through it with a sharp shovel and dig out the root crowns. We have another call coming. Good morning, conversations. Uh, yes, um, I have some leaves in my yard, and it has like these rust spots. And then the other problem is I have this tree, and now it's like a hole, and it's like weeping, like sap or something. Okay, I'll get off the air. Okay, is your tree a cherry tree? No, it's not a cherry tree. I I don't know. It could be... I'm not sure. Okay. Anyway, if it's not a cherry tree, that answers one big question. Okay, so the, the spots on your leaves that look like rust probably are rust. Rust is everywhere, and rust is a... And this a, year, whew. It's everywhere. Rust is a fungus, a soil fungus, I mean, a, a leaf fungus, and the spores for it spend their resting time either on another species or on the litter below the branches of, of whatever you're growing. So in order to get it under control, 
The first thing is hygiene, and make sure you clean up all the fallen leaves and shake all the leaves off the tree that'll come off. And you know, you want to get as many of those those uh, rust spore sources away as possible, and don't put them in your compost pile. Put them in a bag and put them in the garbage, or burn them up. But get rid of them and get them away from there. And the same thing is true for your raspberries, for your roses, for the rhododendrons, rhododendrons. Right, all the ericaceous stuff. Ericaceous meaning like a heather in that in that big family, and uh, there are fungicide sprays that you can use, but they don't they don't ever return it. Right, it's not a curative; it's a preventative in most cases. So if you have something that, that you know every year you get rust on, that's when you can use a preventative. And the hole in your tree trunk that's weeping. Uh, there are a lot of, of tree diseases that, that uh, can generate that kind of activity. And usually it means that the tree is <coughs> compromised pretty seriously and you ought to think about replacing it and figure what, where else you're gonna plant something. You're probably not gonna plant it in exactly that spot. So if, a, can we talk about this for a little bit? Absolutely. Um, because I am not an expert on trees, but I, uh, if you have a weeping sore on a tree and you don't really know how it happened, that could have been a winter damage or something like that, right? Could you cut some of the bark away and clean that up? Do you just leave it the way it is? You know, like branches and things get damaged and you can put some latex paint on it and seal it back up so it doesn't get mm -hmm. left and, yeah. open to the air as much. I know what you mean. You, it's but not those really kind of wounds are different than, than an open thing that's weeping sap out of it. Okay. That's usually, it's a bacterial disease in most cases. And once it starts, you know, there's not really a cure for it. You can limit it. And if it's on a branch rather than on a trunk, you can cut that whole branch off. And then, you know, maybe it won't show up on another branch and maybe it will. Because it, once it gets in the plant, right. it's there. And I just wanted um, to have sure. a conversation because that's how we all learn things. That's right. right. And uh, since you know everything. Oh, well, <laughs> perhaps a, a tiny little bit about several things. But, but so man, what is man, that? Uh, all I can think about is how much I don't know. I know. So what about uh, that? wilting disease that Japanese maples get. Do the big maples get that they too, do. where they, they die off a branch, uh -huh. branch you know at a time? And where it really shows up is in lilac. It's even named Pseudomonas syringae because it's named after lilacs. That's where they first saw it. And it is, it's a, a disease in the root system that kills it off a branch at a time. Right. Just and wondered. once you get it, you know, in there, you got it. You got it. And, and uh, it's in the soil around wherever that plant was. So you don't want to plant something there that is still vulnerable to that. And you can, there's some really great resources online. And one of them is the, the Pacific Northwest uh, handbooks put out by Oregon State. And, and they are uh, pest management and disease management and uh, cultural controls. And so, and you can look it up online, both by the host species and by the symptom 
and they have great picture identification scenes on it. I use it all the time. I bet you, you know, do. People bring me stuff and say, what is this? So I can easily call it up and kind of describe it, even on my cell phone, because I'm sitting there in their yard. Thinking, Wait, can we look at this? Oh, yeah, that's Pseudomonas, that's Anthracnose, that's a bacterial wilt. You know, and here's some here's some uh, cultural steps you can take to limit the damage of it. Yeah, it's, and it's real interesting stuff. And yeah, you know, in this kind of weather, where it's hanging in there between fifty and sixty-five degrees and moist, is a perfect cultural bed for yeah, all kinds of fungus and all kinds of bacteria. That's why those uh, those mushroom hunters love it here too, right? Because it is real fungus land. So there was a, I was working at the hotel <coughs> yesterday and this woman, oh, you have another call. Uh, good morning, Conversations. Good morning. Uh, really love your show. Uh, could you talk about the best time to uh, transplant uh, spirea plants? Sure. You bet. No problem. We'll get right on that. Anytime. Okay, uh, <laughs> spirea is about as tough a thing as you've got. We'll tell you on the air, okay? Okay, so... So this is a perfect time. I mean, but spireas can take a tremendous amount of abuse. So if you wait longer, it'll probably still live through the winter. Remember, anytime you're transplanting something or digging something up, get the spot ready for it to go to. So the basic guideline is you want to transplant stuff. It all has to do with water and keeping the water in the plant. So you want to transplant it either before it gets leaves on it in the springtime or... Once the new growth starts, that's its most vulnerable time. And then you wait until the new growth ripens and the wood gets hard. So once the new growth gets hard enough that when you bend it with your fingers and it breaks, that's a good time to transplant it again. Because that means that, that uh, the leaves aren't, aren't anywhere near as tender anymore and expanding. So it's either early in the spring or kind of after midsummer and later in the fall. But even so... The spirea is about as tough as you can get. They're very resilient. Yeah. And if you make a nice place for it, you can really dig them. I mean, even if you lose the new growth this year, it's not going to kill the plant. And remember, and too, unless transplant. you're absolutely wed, wedded to how it looks now, it's always a good idea to reduce the top growth before you transplant something. I was just thinking about that. Well, anyway, I was talking about this woman at the, the hotel where the spireas have gotten really big, and I was thinking, boy, I'm going to have to trim these down in the fall because they're in full bloom right now. They look beautiful, but... She says to me, she was walking her dog, and she says, that Queen Anne's lace in the back corner there is the biggest I've ever seen. And, of course, it was cow parsnip. You, you know, it's like, and, I, and, I, she, and she was from Indiana, and she says, there's no way that a, a, a Queen Anne's lace could get that big in Indiana. And look at those, those uh, bleeding hearts. We can't grow those. In, we grow them inside in Indiana because it's too hot outdoors for them. And I said, yeah, I bet you do. I said, well... That's not a Queen Anne's lace. That's called cow parsnip, and it's very caustic, and it kind of looks that kind of flower, but it isn't the same thing at all. And the bleeding hearts here are just getting ready to get cut back, so they come on again in the fall. They won't get as big as this, but they will have a second flowering and uh, are really great perennials for this climate. Absolutely. And that's something that uh, it's kind of surprising the first time you experience that. Coming from a place where that doesn't happen, you know, the idea that you can cut your perennial back and have it come back into bloom again, and sometimes even three times during the season. Delphinium's right. a great one for that, too. Yeah, and um, 
our bleeding hearts are ready to get cut back at the nursery and be fed and have them come on. So be, they'll be pretty for the fall, for the next perennial rush. season. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I was uh, writing my newsletter. And if anybody who's listening to the radio wants to get on our email list and get the weekly blast of, of the things to do, make contact with me, will you? Okay. Good morning, Conversations. Good morning. Um, to follow up on cutting back bleeding hearts, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about cutting back other perennials, like sure. columbine and when to do that and how to do that. Okay, great. Thank you. You bet. Thank you. So cutting back for rebloom means you're kind of forcing it back into its, uh, its earlier stage. I've not had any experience with Columbine doing that, but I, I imagine it would work. I, in general, as a flower grower, I like to let the Columbine make seed and disperse its seed rather than try to get a second bloom off of it because I'm always wanting more Columbine and they're very prolific with seed. So unlike the bleeding heart, which isn't going to come from seed, uh, and the root only gets bigger, cutting it back... Uh, doesn't hurt it and it's so vigorous you feed it again of course and it comes on with a second growth that isn't as big as the first one but still is quite large and lovely and more flowers um, there as are other flowers that you can't get a second growth out of and I would say daisies sometimes the tall beckies and things like that you're only going to get one long bloom period out of those but delphinium like David was saying, uh, come quickly and rather than let them have their main flower dwindle away and just have side branches, cut it down and feed it and it will come again. Again, not as big as the first flower, but plenty big, you know, three feet tall instead of six feet tall. So if you take something like a bleeding heart and you think, I'm going to cut this back, you don't cut it flush to the ground. You cut it back so that you're leaving uh, enough enough stems sticking up that the first set or the first and second set of leaves are still left there because the part that's going to do the the quickest new growth is the little bud that's in the axle where the leaf and the stem come together. There's a little a, a microscopic in some cases or visible in some cases little bud there and that's going to be the, the source of new growth if you cut it all the way back to the ground then it has to grow all that stuff again it has to make all that stuff again but if you leave something preformed that's already ready to sprout then it's going to happen much quicker well and a bleeding heart has all those small growths i mean Crusted bleeding hearts I'm dealing with are like 20 years old. So they already have secondary growth coming up on them. So you cut off the top growth so the secondary growth, which is like understory, can mature and produce flowers. And that's mm -hmm. why it doesn't get quite as big, but it still is prolific. But something like a daylily, that won't happen. You'll, you'll cut it off and it'll grow new leaves, but it probably won't have time to make a new flower stock. What we would look for would be something that would flower early in the season and be, be kind of worn out or, or reaching the end of its flowering time. One of the things I want to say that I think, and this may not be a directly an answer to your question, but it is something that people hesitate to do, that when you go to the nursery and you buy a four-inch perennial, 
people buy it because, oh, look at this pretty flower, you know, and then they take it home and they don't cut it off. <laughs> but really, if you're if if in May you're buying four-inch perennials or in June or even in July, and it has a four-inch plant and it has a flower on it, you want to get it to grow bigger and faster. So you should cut that flower off, cut the roots up one side in the pot, not make a nice big hole for it, put it in the ground, and you'll get a much bigger plant with much m more flowers than if you just have just that one flower making that plant support it. Absolutely. It's really not how it, 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 it promotes, it doesn't promote growth to take your four inch pot and just put it, plant and put it in the ground without doing some disturbance to it. And delphinium's a real big one for that. Uh, Foxgloves? Foxgloves, all of those, you know, let them put the energy into growing a bigger root system and you're gonna get more flowers. I had some communication with uh, Tyler Rental this week, and uh, I was there. Uh, Aren't you there every week? I'm. I'm Aren't there you there almost every day? Oh, well, I go there a lot. That's right. I, <laughs> I'm I glad you need do, to Dave. Rent some new tools, or right. uh, or you buy to, some parts. You had to take our have. blower in. That's right. Take the blower in and get a new cap for the fuel can for it. And Stacy told me that they have the uh, the lightweight homeowner chainsaws that they've been waiting for. Oh. The ones that are like the one that I have. Great. Made out of fiberglass and plastic with a really lightweight body and a, a, a energetic motor. So you can get a lot of work done and it doesn't tear you out entirely. And so, are you, are, uh, and so how long's the... What's the bar? Uh-huh. Um, are they the 18 bar, inches? The bar on mine's a 16 inch one. 16 inches. But I think they come with longer bars than that too. But it's a it's a real nice tool. Yeah, and they've been waiting for a while for their shipment for them, and they just came in. So if your name is on their wait list or you want to get one, go over there right away. They won't last long. These th kind of things come in in a in a flurry and they're gone again. Maybe we should buy one for Cole as a wedding present. I think if we buy a Cole one for a wedding present, we ought to get him one of those still powerful battery powered ones. Okay. I just love my new battery powered chainsaw. <laughs> Well, we gave Lizzie uh, the little tiny chainsaw for that's Christmas. Right. She, she went to went work right away. Cut <laughs> down just, stuff in her yard. That's right. So uh, back to what I was saying about my newsletter. One of the things that I have in this week's newsletter is pictures of other things that the the vine weevil attacks besides rhododendrons. And that the nasty vine weevil. That's, that's, a, that's a nasty vine weevil. And the idea that there's a way to manage it without spreading poison in the world is really a good one. The vine, you know, so the vine weevil is that big black beetle that you see out in your yard. Yep, it's about three quarters of an inch long, and shiny. It's got a big, big nose on the end of it. Well, you know, and in the movie Practical Magic, they called it the, the death beetle. <laughs> well, <they're laughs> I'm, I'm just saying, you know. That's right. And, and the Victorian guy said, God must be a beetle. Else, why, why else would he have made so many kinds of them? That's right. And they were, they were fascinated by beetles. Uh, anyway, there's a lot of other things that attack the beetles. And the nematodes, which we apply this time of year, go for the larvae of the, of the root weevil. Because the, the feeding marks you see above ground mean that there are larvae underground eating the roots, and that's where the damage is really done. So we take the nematode, which looks like, like you know, we get a, a big one fat point, worm. 1.25 million nematodes in a half a teaspoon of the, uh, the nesting material. 
and put that and dissolve it in water and pour it on the ground around the plant and they go down there and they hunt for those larvae and it's a naturally occurring nematode at this at this climate but we just don't have enough the of numbers really for all the little fat the root, root weevils didn't evolve here they came here and it was a, an open climate for them and they like it a lot and this is just perfect well all them. these plants traveled here too that, you know? absolutely <laughs> all these plants traveled here too so we're open today at landscape alaska and we'll be open till four o'clock this afternoon and tomorrow noon till four closed on monday and tuesday then open again on wednesday from 10 to 4 on through that back until saturday or by appointment if you That's need right. to come for at a other time you can call and make an appointment with dave and the hydrangeas that are in bloom now are just beginning and they're still going to bloom all the rest of the summer right on until it frosts the other thing that i want to say about summer blooming perennials that are fabulous are summer blooming flocks summer blooming flocks is a wonderful wonderful perennial in your garden it gets bigger every year it takes all the weather it doesn't fall down and it uh it really is a workhorse and it's beautiful and fragrant and fragrant that's what i like the best about it i can tell when i'm standing near me but i don't see him around that cinnamon spice aroma floating through the air is so delightful and turns my head every time well and you know i I planted it at the bank about 10 years ago, and the stand is just, you know, and it gets snow pushed on it and everything, and it suffers all winter long, and it just comes through gangbusters. I love that. Is that that hot pink one? A hot the hot pink one. That's my favorite one. Yep. Yep. That's a really nice one. Okay. We have another call coming in. We're close to the end. Good morning, conversations. Oh, sorry. Okay. I, this I is the you. garden show. I this want is. the radio station. Okay. Later. Bye. Okay, so uh, Siberian irises. Yeah, they're pretty. I have some new Siberian irises we got from the Canadian plant breeders, and they're called uh, Butterfly Unbound. That's a great name. <laughs> they're beautiful. They're like watercolors. They are uh, really incredible in color. Right. You'll have to ask, ask somebody to show you a picture of them because all the ones with flowers on them went right away. But the little baby ones that are starting now, they're going to have them in a couple, in a couple of weeks or, or not until next year, but they're a stunning thing. And not just the flower. The foliage of the Siberian iris is such pretty stuff. You need to get uh, Beth and Adele to bring the bearded iris up from the back of the house where it's been sitting in the shade rooting up because it's all looking really good and that's that dark purple bearded iris i noticed that she brought some up yesterday and put a sign on it yeah uh we bearded iris are the ones that have the big rhizome that lays on top of the ground and has the flat gray green leaf that's real fleshy and that's the one that has the big kind of spectacular flower hairy kind of hairy flower kind of hairy and it has like tongues that lay over the side and uh, have fur on the inside of their tongues, and they're in brilliant colors. And but most of them don't live here, but some of them do. The dwarf ones. And the, the dwarf, dwarf ones, ones do. The ones and there's a the purple best. one, and there's a blue one. Uh, and we, we have got, the dark purple. We got we got them from Kelly. Uh-huh. Uh huh. We got a lot of them from Kelly, the radio station Kelly, and uh, he has he had a big collection of them that he brought from Montana with him. And when they remodeled their house, I got a big bunch of them. And so once you know once you have them. And you can get into the division stage. You can start passing them out to your friends and neighbors and, and to your customers. You can uh, make sure that they stay in circulation. There's a lot of things in Juno that are done like that, that are passed from hand to hand to hand. 
that you really you, you can't buy them. You know, like those big summer blooming primroses that are in bloom everywhere now. They're beautiful. You, pre- you pretty much can't buy those. I mean, looking in the nursery trade, you pretty much can't buy them. If you're in Juno, you can get them. You can get them pretty easily. You can trade for them. You can buy them from your friends, or you can go collect some seed. Or you can steal them. I know people who like to go into people's yards and steal them. Yes. <laughs> I do know those people, but I'm not going to mention anything about that. I know people that have been caught there, too, so I wouldn't do it. I've got to tell you something that Margaret did this last month that was very spectacular. She designed and uh, set up a hedge made of Japanese maple seedlings. And it's meant to be seen around the edge of somebody's property, and it has all those colors of Japanese maples in it. Concentrated, the, the concentrated gold, color. The bright green, the dark green, the red, and the purple. The orange. And so, by the time three or four years goes on, and this hedge is able to be sheared into shape, it's just going to be spectacular. I looked at it. And I thought, how come I never thought of it? It'll doing be like that a before? rainbow. It will be. It'll just be lovely. And. Uh, and that you like makes it. you think, you know, you can do that with almost anything. You can make a hedge out of almost anything. I was looking at somebody's house in the valley, and they had mixed spruce and hemlock that they had pruned into blocks. I'll show you the pictures of them. It was so cool. It's in, uh, oh, around Dudley Street in mm-hmm. that area. And uh, I was just, I was going someplace else, and I had to pull over to the side of the road and take photos of them because this was so, so cool. spectacular. Yeah. So very spectacular. Uh, the lady that called me from Gustavus and talked about rooting the maples, give me a call again, and we'll talk further about it. This is a woman who has the red leaf maple tree, and it's sprouting green sprouts below the graft, and she wants to have roots grow on that, and there is a way to make that happen. So I think we're coming to the end of our show. We'll talk to you next week, and until then, come see us at Landscape Alaska. Take care, Juno. And remember, happy gardening. Happy gardening.